we start, I, I don't want to draw too much attention to people who are on holidays, but Kerry Schubert's here. Do you want to come up just for a minute, Kerry? We don't want to have a big... Uh, we don't want to draw too much attention to you because we know you're being low-key. But... Um, Oh, great. Kerry Schubert, everybody. I'm trying to just sneak in and hide. That's right. It's great to see you. This is holiday? I'm on holidays, yep. Great. Now, how long ago now since the Albury replant? Um, it's probably nearly 15 months. 15 months. Yeah. So you at the moment are... Enjoying this this rest. Is this the first real break that you've it had is. away? I great. should have had one a bit earlier, but well, it's, it's good to have a break. It's great. What have you done the last week? Have you... I've been up in Sydney actually. So great, good stuff. Just visiting friends and relaxing. It's good. Great, great. Yeah. Kerry, do you want to just give us some of the highlights? Just things that have been going there. We pray for you regularly, and just yeah. to hear. Thanks. Appreciate that. Um. Yeah, there's been a lot happen. Feels like I've been there years, actually. And we've seen um, the the most exciting thing would be seeing people come to Christ. But also, just when I first went to the church, we had people come that hadn't been to church. One lady for more than forty years, another lady um, twenty two years, and a man for eighteen years. And that initially was really exciting to see that. And then we've been having people come that are not Christians and that's really interesting too and mm. that was exciting. We had um, in September last year we had the, the first baptism in the church for eight years. Wow. So that was a bit of a drought. That's great. And, <laughs> and we, had, uh, we had just in the last month, I think it was, we had three people that were baptised and two of them were in their 70s, mm. which was so exciting. And this man, he just was giving his testimony, he just broke down. He said, I was in a church for 50 years and I was in leadership positions and I never met Christ. And he said, I feel like I've just wasted my life. Mm. And, but he just had us in the palm of his hand because it was so exciting. We, actually, the lady, 78 years old, she came out in her shower cap to get baptised, <laughs> and I was just thinking, please don't laugh, and nobody, nobody did, but it was just so beautiful to see, because we often see younger people get She's baptized. here tonight, Kerry. Yeah, no, she's <laughs> <laughs> It's all right, she loves me. <laughs> yeah, so that was really exciting, and just um, seeing, it's really difficult when you, you're in a church, and there's 15 people there, and it's empty. It's really hard even with with singing and worship and everything and just to see the place full now it's um it's very exciting there's lots of challenges too but mm. it's isn't god good hey thanks for yeah um, kerry we're just so thrilled and to hear yeah that's staggering isn't it from 15 yeah. in 15 months yeah. to full and yeah. god has been good isn't that good let's let's thank god for what he's doing and why don't we just pray, hey, and pray for you and pray for Albury now at this time. Let's pray, shall we, church? God, we just thank you for what you're doing at Albury Baptist. And we just want to give you praise tonight for your spirit at work, for your breaking spiritual droughts there and bringing 
this fresh fire, this fresh zeal, this uh, strong uh, church that is growing. And we just give you praise for that. And we say, God, all glory to you. God, we just thank you for Kerry. And we just ask your uh, refreshing as she's on holidays. And we just pray that in this coming uh, rest of the year that you would give her all that she needs for leading the team, for leading the church, for preaching your word, for caring for people pastorally and for advancing your church. Thank you for her and we give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Great, Kerry. Good stuff. Keep it up. Well, tonight I wonder um, what is it that makes a leader? You know, I've I've heard about... uh, People like Watchman Nee, a great leader who was doing really well until he was struck with sickness and he had to lie down for months on end when he put to pen to paper and actually started to give people instruction in books that have been devoured and read right through the centuries. Sickness seemed to be part of Watchman Nee's formation. I remember hearing about Charles Haddon Spurgeon who was the Prince of Preachers, and reading about in his early childhood, he would sit in on his dad, who was a leader in the church, and overhear discussions about theological issues. And so from an incredible early age, when Charles Haddon Spurgeon got into the pulpit at 18, 17, 18, people were struck by the incredible way God had already been shaping this person's life. Uh, I wonder what what events does God use in the making of a leader? Well, tonight we're just going to have a a look in at Moses' life and then look at some of the things that shaped him as a leader. And we're going to ask ourselves, Are these things that have happened in my life that God has used? Are there things that are going on or have been going on in my life that God might be wanting to form and shape me into someone he can use to really impact the lives of others for God's purposes, for the building of his kingdom? Exodus 2 uh, comes after Exodus 1. (laughs) And Exodus 1 begins seeing the Israelites being greatly oppressed by the Egyptians. When we open our Bibles early on in the early pages of Genesis, we see God coming to Abraham and revealing himself to Abraham and making promises to him. He says, you know, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you into a nation. I'm going to give you a land. And I promise to do that. And as Abraham continued to wait for the Lord, we see that God started to fulfill his promise through Isaac and and Jacob. And God continued to affirm his covenant and his promise to these men. And uh, Jacob had 12 sons and Joseph was one of those 12 sons, you remember. And what happened to Joseph was he had these dreams where he was seeing himself as ruling over his brothers and they didn't like it and so they tried to kill him, to get rid of him and they sold him as a slave. And Joseph, their brother, who their father thought was dead, ended up in Egypt 
And in that time, God showed great favour on Joseph. And over many years, Joseph became a leader in Egypt. He was uh, the right-hand man of the Pharaoh. And as Joseph continued to grow in influence, his family came and they came and settled in Egypt. And the children, the people of Israel gathered there and God started to fulfil even more his promises and started to bless the people. As Exodus starts, Joseph has, has died and now his brothers and the families have been settling down for a number of, of years. And right there, God is starting to grow and prosper the Israelites and they're growing in number and they're growing rapidly. In Exodus 1 verse 7, it says, but the Israelites were fruitful and multiplied greatly and became exceedingly numerous so that the land was filled with them. In the midst of that, the Egyptians felt threatened and said in verse 10, come, we must deal with them shrewdly or they will become more numerous. And if war breaks out, they'll join our enemies and fight against us and leave. So they put slave masters over the children of Israel. And the more they oppressed them, the more they multiplied and spread. And so they worked them even more ruthlessly and God was working in such a way that he was fulfilling his promises. And so they said to the midwives, the people who would deliver the Hebrew babies, you know, when you're delivering these Hebrew children, if it is a girl, let it live. If it's a boy, kill him. But the midwives feared God. And they, they, they didn't do what they'd been instructed to do. And God blessed the midwives and gave them children of their own. And even more, the numbers prospered. Then Pharaoh gave this order in verse 22 to all his people. Every boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile but let every girl live. What a terrible time to be born. What a terrible time in Israel's history to come in to the world. But right when things were in their darkest, darkest time, Moses was born. Alex, I think I've got a little um, remote control. Could you just pass it up? Thanks. Great. Um, so what happens here is that he's born in a time of trouble, in horror, when things are going really badly, when everything seems to be against God's people and people are thinking, did God really want to show this favour? We're being oppressed, we're being hurt, we're being treated like slaves and everything's going wrong. Has God forgotten us, they say? And Exodus chapter 2 begins by showing that in the midst of this time, Moses is born. Let's have a look at what this passage says. Now, a man of the house of Levi married a Levite woman 
Levites were God-fearing people. They were those that were kind of of the order of priests. They were people who loved and feared God. He came into this house as a, as a baby born. She became pregnant and she gave birth to a son. Not only that, when she saw that he was a fine child, it says. So as uh, his mother, Jochebed, looked on Moses, she saw that he was a fine child. Now, we don't know what this actually means. I think every mother looks on a baby and thinks it's fine, don't you think? Most of them do. I mean, some kids, you know, don't look that fine when they're first born, but the mums still love them. And I think Jochebed here looked on her son, Moses, but she thought that he was exceptional. She thought he, he was fine. And so in great danger to her own life and to her family's life, she hid him for three months. Instead of obeying the order that every boy that's born is to be thrown into the Nile but let every girl live, she took a risk. She felt he was such a fine child that what she did was she hid him for three months. Can you imagine it? Uh, Every day you get up and you go to work. You're treated despicably. You fear for your life as your slave masters work you to the bone. And then you get home and uh, your oldest daughter and your younger son Aaron and then little baby, newborn baby, are in the house. And everyone's saying, don't upset the baby. We want to keep it quiet. You're in a hut People around might hear. And you're saying, just whatever you do, kids, don't make a noise. And fear would have just gone right around the household. Please, if he wants something to eat, try and get something. If he wants something, don't make him cry because if he's found out, he's going to be dead and he's a fine child. And those three months would have been lived in agony, in fear, in in frightened feelings of what might happen to this child that they were hiding. And it says that when Pharaoh's daughter, when she, but when the, she could hide him no longer, he got to such an age, such a, you know, three months when his crying was getting fully formed and he was belting it out in the middle of the night. She, she's saying, we can't do this. So what Jochebed did was she made a little kind of uh, papyrus basket for him and she coated it in tar and pitch and she placed the child in it. She put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile and his sister stood at a distance to see what would happen. Now Chuck Swindle in his book on on Moses says that he he believes that Jochebed actually practised, actually put the, the basket there in a place positioned not just throwing it out onto the Nile and saying goodbye to it and leaving it, abandoning it and hoping and praying that God would look after it. He believes that she actually placed it right amongst the reeds, sturdy, steady reeds, left the baby in the basket in a place where it would not be moved, but not only in a place where it would not be moved, but in a place where Pharaoh's daughter would come. He believes that every day Pharaoh... His daughter would have, would have come to this place to bathe. 
And, and, and Chuck Swindle sort of says as he looks at this passage, it seems that she knew what she was doing. She probably practised with Miriam, her daughter, and practised going through what would happen. Now they're going to come. Here's the baby here. I'm going to be right back here. You stand here. When she sees the baby, what you've got to do is come up. And we don't know whether this happened, but it could, could well have happened that she had seen something in Pharaoh's daughters. They had two. But in this particular daughter that made her feel that she might show compassion. You know, the Nile was said to be a god to the Egyptian people. And uh, one of the feelings that they had was maybe she would think that this baby had been given to her from the Nile god. She was willing to risk everything for this fine child. So she stood at a distance, perhaps way off, and watched Miriam as Miriam watched Pharaoh's daughter arrive. The next part of this. There we go. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, as she usually would. And her attendants were walking along the river bank and she saw the basket amongst the reeds and sent her slave gal to get it. And she opened it and saw the baby. He was crying. Can you imagine what must have been going through Jochebed's mind at this stage? She must have been praying. Her heart must have been pumping. She must have thought, oh God, please, all she needs to do is pick this baby up and throw it into the Nile and that's it for Moses. God, would you please protect my, my son? God, I want the best for him. And as she opened it up, as Miriam stood in between, waiting for her to say her lines, the text says that she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, as though just naturally arriving on the scene just at the time. Shall I go and get one of the Hebrews women and nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. And the girl went and got her mother. And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, take this baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. Here in this situation, what we see is a complete turnaround of events. Instead of fear and uh, living each day on a razor's edge, now they can take the baby home and not only are they going to be able to feed the baby and look after it, they're going to get paid for doing it. And everything now is going to be completely different because of this turn of events. I just want to look and when we look at the uh, making of a leader, that for us today it's important that we give thanks to God for influences beyond our control in our lives. As we look at Moses' life, there were a lot of influences that were occurring in his life that he had no control over, but God blessed him with. Don't you think? I mean, Moses was born firstly into a family of faith. You know, some people when they're giving testimony said, Oh, I came from a Christian home, you know, because they don't have a fabulous testimony of a of a coming from a non-Christian home. And I think 
no, this is one of the best, one of the incredible gifts that you, you've given. If you happen to be someone that came from a Christian home where Christian values were modelled, what a blessing this was. Uh, what a blessing this would have been to you. If you didn't, well, you know, God can use what you had to help you as well. But this was Moses was born into a, into a family where people loved God and honoured him. His mother, Jochebed, thought he was fine. You know, that doesn't happen all the time. But his mum looked at him and said, I'm going to take great steps of faith and risk and danger for this child because I think he's special. You know what that can do to a kid? And maybe for you, as you think about your life, there have been people who have been important in your life that have taken an interest in you from an early age. Maybe it's been a mother or a father. Maybe it's been an uncle or a friend. Or maybe it's been someone in the church who has said, this person has a potential. This person is fine. This person is, is a special kind of person. I'm going to take time to take steps of faith to put myself out so that I can help this person be the kind of person that God has called them to be. She was willing to risk her life for the child. And God took her faith and helped her to overcome the fear and the dangers that that she faced and that Moses faced in that time. What a gift that is to Moses, a mother of faith, someone who was willing to take risks so that Moses' life would not be harmed and that he would be given every opportunity to live. Uh, Second thing I want you to notice when it comes to this uh, passage that we're looking today is that as, as leaders, if you happen to have found yourself in a position of privilege where things have come your way, give thanks for that. Look what happened to Moses. Uh, When the child grew older, Jochebed, the mother, took him to Pharaoh's daughter and she became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I have drew him out of the water. Just short verses here, which don't seem to say so much, but what a sweeping change took place in Moses' life. He went from slavery to the palace. He went from, instead of just a move a couple of blocks down, it was like a move to a different planet. I mean, it couldn't be more chalk and cheese, the two places. He went from the familiar, from the uh, ordinary, from the uh, you know, place where he felt loved to the unfamiliar, the strange the place where he knew none of the customs, knew none of what was going on. I guess as he moved in, the changes in his life must have caused trauma to him initially. I wonder if that's been your case. Perhaps as you look back in your life, you can see periods where you just found yourself in situations where you just felt out of control, where you felt completely abandoned, completely a whole different things happening that you weren't used to. Perhaps you're in foster care and you move from house to house. Perhaps when you were younger, your parents went through you know, a bitter divorce or a bitter separation and you found the house that was familiar and comfortable and warm becoming cold and violent or hurtful or 
or just not the same anymore. It must have been traumatic for, for Moses. I, I think he must have cried at night when he didn't have his mum with him or his family with him. He must have longed for her. He, he must have, in these times in the palace, in, in the, his own room, sort of cried out to God and said, God, God, I need you now. But with his pain, with this transition, came the most incredible experiences. He was taught, he was given the best education. Moses would have been groomed in incredible ways, trained the customs and learning the way in which the whole palace operated in the way the the kingdom was run. He would have had access to people of influence. He would have grown up with a silver spoon. He would have had positions of privilege. Perhaps he was even groomed for the future role of Pharaoh. We don't know. But it's likely that he may have been. You know, in all of this, in the transition, in the finding himself in incredible privileges, it was no mistake to God. It wasn't something that just happened by chance. God is a sovereign God and he was working about his purposes. It's like what... Uh, David said in Psalm 139 when he was uh, pondering the incredible things of God, he said, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days were ordained for me and they were written in your book before one of them came to be. God had been planning Moses' life. He'd been making a leader and this was no mistake. He was going to use these experiences to shape him. What about you? I think every single one of us are in positions of privilege as, as, as far as the society that we live. We live in a very wealthy society compared to the rest of the world. There are so many people that hunger today so many people that starve, so many people are afraid because they're in places where uh, their life is threatened daily. You and I are in positions of privilege. We can choose to go home tonight and uh, read the Bible, uh, discipleship others, share our faith, and we're not going to get killed. We can choose what job we will have, what position we'll apply for or what we'll do in the future. We're in incredible places of privilege. I think we're to give thanks for the opportunities that we've had and for the privileges that have come our way. I think of uh, just the the way in which God had been shaping Phil Weeks. You you know, when he came here, uh, he just rang up and talked to Norman and uh, he said, look, I've I've been studying in Melbourne but I've just got a passion for kids, for young people in the region. You know, a lot of my mates when I was growing up, when I was living in Alexandra, he said, said, what I was doing there, a lot of those guys have left the church and they're just, you know, not going anywhere and I've got a passion for rural kids and young people. I want to help. Is there anything there? And that passion that God had placed in him had put him into a position where God was able to use that. Bill Hybels, 
he, he remembers his dad at a very early age who was a, a, a business operator giving him incredible responsibility far beyond what other kids at his age was having. He'd, he'd give him plane tickets and send him overseas and leave him in the middle of a place where he'd have to find out ways to problem solve his way back. So at a very early age, Bill Hybels was wrestling with big problems. This was a position of privilege that would help him in his future. You know, my granddad, uh, I, I spent time with granddad. He was a minister and he said to me, Jonathan, I'd just love to meet with you. And I said, great. So we met every week when I was just like nine or ten years old. Uh, and we would, we would look and he'd share the Bible with me. And it was incredible. And that was a, not everyone has a grandfather who's willing to spend time with them talking about the Bible. Some of you have a passion for reaching uni students. And it's, it's there because when you were at uni, someone gave you the privileged position of hearing about Jesus there or learning discipleship. And now that's something that you want to take and use. Some of you have got a real passion for just being outdoors and, and getting other people together so that we can all enjoy the outdoors together and God might use that in some great way because you've enjoyed that because perhaps your dad and your mum took you away when you were kids and it's a burning passion. It could be that God has placed all kinds of passions in you because he's given you the privilege of enjoying positive experiences of that when you were younger. God was going to take Moses' learning, Moses' privileged time in the palace, and he was going to use that in years ahead to when he was leading God's people through the desert. So not only you know, should, should leaders uh, give thanks for the positions of privilege, not only should they give thanks for the influences in their lives that are beyond your control, but leaders also need to learn the importance of character in becoming a person that God can really use. Look what happened. Uh, one day, after Moses had grown up, it just races on to when he's grown up the story, and he went out to where his own people were, and, he, and watched them at their hard labour. I think uh, Moses must have loved his people, the Hebrew people, and it must have grieved him as he looked on them being driven so hard and working so hard. And as he looked at them, his heart was full and he was longing for them because he was a Hebrew. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people, and glancing this way and that, and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. You know, Moses hated it that they were being uh, mistreated, and he had a strong sense of justice. Now he, he knew what was right and he knew what was wrong. And right here, he chose the wrong means to correct a problem. He had the right passion. He had the right hatred of injustice. But he chose the wrong means of dealing with it. I don't know if you've ever been at a place or in a situation where a fight has broken out. I mean, the images that you see stay with you for a long, long time. 
I can still recall fights that happened at high school when I was there. And, and people crunch, bone crunching into the side of face, blood going everywhere. It's, it's just a horrible sight. The thudding of, of, of bones into face and, and things. Like, and this is what Moses did. He grabbed this man and killed him with his bare hands right there. It would have been horrific. It would have been this anger coming up. But seeing that no one was there, he killed the Egyptian in rage. An anger that grew up for his sense of injustice, but it was wrong. And that wasn't God's timing for Moses. That wasn't God's uh, way of achieving what he was wanting to do through Moses. He was rushing the process and this leader was going to need to learn the character that it's not your own strength that you do things, but you do it as God leads you and provides opportunities for you. Andy Stanley's dad, Charles Stanley, taught his son, Andy, this lesson. He said to his son, he said, never violate the principles of God in order to gain or maintain the blessings of God. Never violate the principles of God in order to gain or maintain the blessings of God. If you feel that God is calling you to be a great leader, but you have to kill someone to get there, don't do it, okay? But you know what I mean? Sometimes we might think we have to stand on somebody else or we have to you know, backstab someone or undermine someone or go around somebody else. Don't you ever do that. Never violate the principles of God. And, and here's Moses doing exactly that. He saw something he disliked, injustice filled him, and he killed him. Right passion, wrong means. Hey, Learn the importance of character if you want to be someone who God can use greatly. Don't do things in your own strength, but make sure it's his timing. You know, worse, worse, when he killed the man, he looked left and right and he buried him. And it says that glancing this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him. In the sand. It reminds me, glancing this way of that, of what happened when a lady was getting her carpets um, done at her house and she was getting the carpets laid and she coiled in the carpet layer and he was there and he uh, was laying all the carpets and he got right to the very end of laying the carpets and he noticed that his cigarettes were not in his top pocket and that they'd you know, obviously fallen out and he looked around and he noticed a little lump in the carpet over here so glancing this way and that, he kind of looked around and grabbed his hammer and just squashed out the patch in there and thinking, everything will be all right. No one will notice. So he got back into his uh, ute after he was finishing up and was just writing out the invoice to take it back into the lady. And uh, he looked down on the seat next to him and saw his cigarettes there. And just as he was looking at his cigarettes, the lady came running out saying, has anyone seen our baby guinea pig? <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> Some of you are guinea pig lovers and you're going to send me letters or emails. I, didn't, I don't mean anything like that. But <laughs> the point is, Moses looked this way and that and thought he could get away with it. But you can't. You can't live a life that is not one of integrity and think that people won't know. He couldn't cover it up by hiding 
it from God. God knows. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth looking for those whose hearts are fully devoted to him. And he sees it all. You can't hide from a God who sees everything. He thought he could cover it up, but he couldn't. Confess your sins. Learn from them. Find forgiveness and grow. And you'll be the kind of leader that learns the importance of character. Do you know, the truth is, too, that you become known for who you are by what you do each and every day. Look what happened. The next day he went out and he saw two Hebrews fighting and he asked the one in the wrong, uh, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? And the man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. When Moses heard of this, he tried to kill Uh, When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses, but Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian and where he sat down by a well. You become known for who you are by what you do each and every day. When I say the words, Gail Hill, What image comes to your mind? What do you think? When I say John Howard, what thoughts come to your mind? When I say Paris Hilton, (laughs) sorry, she's coming up a bit, isn't she? Too many times on Sunday nights. Um, You know, what thoughts come to your mind? Because the, the truth is, Every time our name is mentioned, thoughts pop into people's mind. And you know how they got to be there? By the way in which you act every single day. Because every single day by the actions that you do, the way you act, the things that you do, you'll become known for that. And Moses was now becoming known as the one who beat the Egyptian and words were spreading around that this is the kind of guy that Moses is. He's trying to set himself up. He's trying to make us judge and ruler over us. Who does he think he is? And this was coming around. So as a growing leader, as someone who wants to be used by God, be careful that every day the things that you do are always the things that honour God and serve others and help other people, uh, benefit other people so that they come to know Jesus and grow more and more to be like him. Every action, every day will be something that either helps people think positive things about your character or negative things. And Moses is afraid. He realises that what has happened in this time is that word's been getting out and people are running. So he goes to Midian. He flees afraid. And in Midian, he's now going to spend another 40 years out in the back of nowhere. And he's going to be living there for the next 40 years. And one of the things that he learned straight away as he arrives, now a priest of Midian had seven daughters and they came to draw water and fill the troughs 
to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to rescue their rescue and watered their flock. So as soon as Moses goes away from all the privileges and all the, uh, you know, all the status that he has over there and comes to Midian, the first thing that he starts to do is starts to serve. And he's starting to learn now more and more about what it is. It's not to, to bring about revenge, but it's to say, God, wherever you have me, I'm going to be serving you. I'm going to be doing what I can right where I am. And this is what he does. He starts to draw water and to fill the trough so that those women who were getting pushed away and and chewed off so they couldn't get to the water were served and their father's flock was served. I wonder what you're doing. You know, you may be thinking that, hey, God, what are you going to use me in? You know, one day I'm going to be, uh, I want to be big, I want to be, Influential. I want to be someone who's you know, leading 27 people a week to the Lord. And, and, and you might be saying, God, that day when that comes, and you might be missing opportunities to serve right now in small little ways, just serving in kids' church or Youth United or at home, like serving your neighbours, helping uh, in your family, spending time with your kids, spending time with your friends, you know, trying to just help the needs that are around you and being a servant. This is as simple as it was for Moses, but he was learning that part of the character of a leader is servanthood. Reminds me of Jesus who said, for even the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but came to serve. And in Philippians, Paul says that our attitude should be the same as Christ, who, who didn't, you know, didn't see that just being someone fabulous was something to be grasped, being equal with God, but made himself a servant, emptying himself. God can use people that are servants, people that have their own agendas and have their own things that they want to do and they're going away. God finds it really hard to shape and steer them and direct them. But those that say, God, whatever it is, I'll do it. I'll just be your servant and I'll do what you want. I'm not setting the agenda. And here Moses in Midian, in the middle of nowhere, finds himself saying, I'll I'll serve. I'll do whatever it is. I think also we need to be willing to be obscure as leaders. If we're those people that God can really use. He wants you and I to be people that aren't people that think we have to be, you know, honoured and and recognised in order to be people that God can use. Look what happens. When the girls return to Ruel, their father, he asked them, why have you returned so early today? And they answered, an Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds, even drew water from us from the flock. And he says, well, (laughs) where is he if he's such a nice guy? He asked the daughters, why did you leave him? Invite him to come and have something to eat. You know, three questions, boom, boom, boom. What are you doing? Don't waste your time. Bring him back here. And then it says this, Moses agreed to stay with the man. He gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. And Zipporah gave birth to a son and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become an alien in a foreign land. What happens here is Moses 
who's grown up with a silver spoon, who's had all the privileges that you can imagine, servants around him, uh, the finest of food, the best of everything that he can have, now finds himself in Midian. And when he's asked to stay, he says, I will stay here. Uh, There's no people who know me, nobody to wait on me. I have no name or no uh, reputation here. I'm out in the back of nowhere. I'm going to hang around with a few farmers and people that are looking after some sheep and I'm going to go from the palace to the sheep station but I'm ready to do what's needed. He was willing to be obscure. And these 40 years of obscurity were going to be times when God was going to shape him and use him and speak to him. He was going to prepare him for what he would do for the rest of his life. Never run from obscurity. Never be too much looking for being important. Say yes to God, whatever it is, and he'll use you. Final thing tonight is be someone who can learn to rest and rely on God. It says, during that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and they cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. He heard their cry. God heard their groaning. And he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Are you anticipating what might happen in the weeks ahead? Well, the great thing that's happened here tonight in this passage is that Moses didn't organise a rescue party. God, you've got a great need. I'm going to just round up the troops and we'll go back into Egypt and we'll rescue everybody. He didn't even just sneak in as an assassin and start taking people out one by one. He simply said in his heart, God, you know all about it. And God, when you're ready, when you want to do something, you'll do it. And I'll leave it at that. In the making of a leader, he had learnt some of the most important lessons. That true character and true leadership is not about doing what you want, but giving yourself over to God and saying, take my life and let it be consecrated, surrendered, given over, Lord to thee. Is God able to use you? I mean, is he really able to use you? Have you come to a point where you've said, I'm just quitting trying to make God do what I want all the time and I'm willing to be obscure. I'm, I'm willing to be someone who is, is just a servant 
I'm willing to be someone who is developing in character no matter what it takes. Because you might be the very block to God using you. I wonder if you've ever come to a point to say, God, I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to have everything. I want you to take it all. And you might have done that in the past. But I think today is a time when God is looking for leaders. Just this whole week I've been looking about, you know, uh, uh, so much on the news that has just been, you know, getting my mind and saying this is a time for godly people to stand up. You know, I mean, we see the terrorism and then we look at their people in Australia and they say, no, we're not trying to do anything around here. And yet there's a anger in some of the discussions. And I think, I wonder what people have got in mind in this country. And there's a time for Australians to stand up who are Christians and say, we live for God. Let's see the uh, Albury Wodonga Psychic Festival on at the moment. And I think there are people that just are, are really milking every opportunity to lead people down a road that leads far away from God. And it's a time for Christian leaders to stand up and make a stand. We need prayer warriors. We need people who will be leaders in teaching our kids. We need people that will be people that will stand up uh, amongst our youth and young adults and say, you know, I might not be famous. I might not be obscure, but uh, I might be obscure, but I, I, I can serve. And I can just do what God's saying to me at this time. Have you ever just said, God, have it all, like everything? If that's your will tonight, why don't we just do that right now? And say, God, yes. Yes. Even if it means Midian. Even if it means waiting for a long time. I want your will, not mine. Let's pray, shall we? And maybe right now, just right where you are, You just might want to say to God, God, I, you know, I don't feel like I've got all, all these gifts. I don't feel like I'm absolutely fantastic. I don't even know whether you can really use me the way you use someone like Moses or other people. But I'm willing. And I'm ready. And I'm saying Yes. If that's you, just, just say that to him. Say, God, I'm willing, I'm ready. And God, we just want to thank you for sending your son, Jesus, to come and to just give us the great example of what it means to be an incredible leader, a servant leader. And God, our, our, our trust and our faith in you is based on Jesus' death and resurrection. And we just thank you for sending your Holy Spirit and we ask that you would empower us now to just every day give our lives completely over to you so that you'll build your church and your kingdom come and your will be done in this time where we need 
people that will stand surrendered for you. And everyone agreed and said, Amen.